Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. When it comes to our adoption into God's family, there is only His grace that welcomes us. But once we belong to God, there is now a particular call to all those who are indwelt by His Spirit. And that calling is to holiness. Today's message is an attempt to refocus how we discern God's will when it comes to holiness. And we will see that the first characteristic of being set apart from the world is seen in how we control our bodies and our minds onto sexual purity. Thanks for joining us as we once more refocus our convictions according to God's will by knowing God. When my sister and I were small, I forget where we learned this, but if, um, if you took your bicycle and took a, a, like a playing card, like a... Okay nine of spades or whatever it might be and you stuck it in the spokes you could turn your lowly little bicycle into a motorbike it was awesome (laughs) headed right down the hills it was fantastic now we didn't have a lot of playing cards in my house Uh, we had instead uh, i collected baseball cards i had a great baseball card collection and baseball cards worked perfectly They work perfectly, but every now and then um, they, would, they would quickly wear out, too. The cardboard they were on wasn't as strong as playing cards. Um, I, in collecting cards, had one card in particular that I really treasured. It was, it was a Michael Jordan baseball card. Anybody old enough to remember when he went to baseball? Remember that? And, and they, they made a card which was kind of his rookie card to play baseball, and I had one, and it was, like, it was like a treasure. I mean, I loved this thing. I loved it so much that I put it in a special protective plastic uh, casing, right, to keep it from getting injured. Well, the plastic casing actually made the bike sound louder. <laughs> and uh, you can ask my sister to this day. She won't admit to it because I think she doesn't remember how much it wounded me. But I remember not knowing where did my Michael Jordan baseball card go and then hearing, down the road that she stuck it in her spokes and destroyed like my favorite card now if she had only known right then that was the problem she didn't know she didn't know that this card in particular was that meaningful to me she didn't know that this guy was it it was a rookie and, and he was the best player of all and that it was his first time playing baseball that all that was represented in that card and she didn't know it and because she didn't know it She destroyed it (laughs) and abused it for what she thought she was getting joy out of. Pleasure from some destruction without really knowing. Uh, You and I, we live in a world that is um, in rebellion to God. And they have rejected a knowledge of God. As you watch the news, as you have opportunity to interact with that which we see unfolding legislatively. um, Even though there is good change recently, I've seen in some of... Uh, some of the elections, uh, increasingly in our world, we live in a garbage heap of those who don't know God. Now, I don't mean they don't know about God. I mean, the Bible teaches us that they, they totally know that God exists. They are completely, as God's word teaches us, without excuse. So they know there is a God, but there's a big difference between Knowing something about God and actually knowing God. And because they don't, our world has been brainwashed. Uh, Changing their worldview, changing their outlook. 
so that there is an increasing acceptance of a destructive behavior to the bodies and the lives of the image bearers that God's created. It's increasing. The place that this is most prevalent, especially in America, but across our world, is when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to purity as seen within our culture. They don't even realize the harm that they're doing to themselves and the harm that they're doing to one another. And it stems directly from an abandonment to knowing God, the value of God. This morning, we are going to continue in our series that's, uh, that's designed to help you and I refocus our understanding. Uh, because we live in a world that's trying to conform us according to its values, you will see blurry. You will. The more that you look through the lens of this culture, the more that you gauge your value according to our society, it will be blurry when it comes to knowing what path should I take in life. But if instead we as God's people will focus our hearts on understanding not our will and desires, but God's will and his desire, things will start to come into clarity and we will begin to get a crisp understanding of what directions, decisions, and where we need to go. So today is another step in that effort, seeking the will of God. We're going to be in the book of First Thessalonians. Please turn there with me if you brought your Bibles. If you didn't, please grab a Bible from the pew in front of you. And as you turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, we are going to read through um, eight verses, which are incredibly packed. They are full. Um, As we're going to seek to uncover what's going on in this passage, uh, we're going to make a few observations, and our observations are going to lead us to two key conclusions. Two central conclusions concerning the will of God and how that relates to the subject of holiness and sexuality. Um, I I have to remind the church, however, that it will do you no good to sit here if you are not also prepared to do what the Bible says. Are we on the same page with that? It will will do you no good to sit and listen, even take notes, if you're only going to be a hearer and never an actual doer. Of God's word. So we, we want to just make sure that as we enter into the, the reverent understanding for our submission to God's word revealed to us through the apostles, we know it's going to demand our attention uh, that we would be willing to make changes in our, in our lives wherever that needs to happen. First uh, Thessalonians chapter four, verses one through eight, Paul writes to the church. Finally, brothers, we, inst- we instructed you how to live in order to please God. As in fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. 
Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Uh, in this passage that we're looking at, the, the subject is holiness. And immediately, right on the cusp of Paul's command unto holiness, we are told that sexual purity is the hallmark identifier of those who want to be holy. Uh, the word that's used here is the Greek word pornea. Uh, pornea had uh, historically, uh, e- even centuries before you get to uh, the time of writing in the New Testament, been used as a substitute word uh, to speak of prostitution or s- selling your body in, in uh, an, an act of uh, sexual uh, exchange. Uh, how, the, the word itself means and meant then and meant for Paul any illicit sexual behavior. That's a, that's a really good standard definition uh, as they uh, were, were wrapping their heads around what this word means. It's any illicit sexual behavior. It really kind of begs the question, well, what is illicit sexual behavior then? And the model is given to us by the great designer, our Lord. God made men and women one for the other for a lifetime to be fruitful to become one flesh and to enjoy one another and multiply this is the hearth around which the fire of sexuality is designed to burn as a really good and awesome thing a privilege and a gift of god to the human creature but boy has sin messed that up any amens Sin has messed this up so that the term pornea means any type of behavior that falls out of bounds with that which God designed. And I know, I know that all of us in here, because we live in a society that is perverted, have experienced some measured amount of our own tendency towards brainwashing on what sex is used for and designed for. Paul says, without the ability to squeeze or work your way around it, in verse 3, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid pornea. So a few observations as we want to work towards what's the root conclusion that we can build some application around in our lives. The first is this. Sexual purity requires God's instructions. Uh, When I was reading and studying through this text, this actually caught me a little bit by surprise. Um, again, my role as the teacher is to explain God's word to you, not to just give you my opinion on it. And so look, look with me once more in verses 1 and 2. He says, finally, brothers, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you're now doing. We ask you in the, and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do it more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you. Does, does anybody in here need Instructions on how to eat healthy. Come on now, be honest. We got a we got a sheet cake for for uh, for fellowship, right? Right. Get ready for that one. Um, you you know you know you know that there are things that really taste good, but really aren't good for you. And yet, what do we do? Even though we know it's true, boy, it's so hard not to have. I mean, uh, who who here does not eat all the beef jerky? Right. I mean, I'll eat the whole thing. <laughs> Right, a, th- a thing of uh, peanut M&M's. I always think there's going to be more left. There's, they're always gone. What happened to my peanut M&M's? 
Halloween was just last week, you guys. Be honest, church. I know this is real in your life. So, so what do we do in our society? We have actually designed coaches, like, like fitness coaches, right, that are, are, are given to us to help us know what is it we need to do in order to live a healthy life when it comes to food and exercise. Even though we know this to be true, we still don't do it. So we need instructions. Does everybody get the point? If that is true with regard to how we eat, I want you to know that this is exactly the same case when it comes to sexual purity. Ironically, atheists in our world today will defend some of the sexual revolution that has made its way into every form of pluralism on the basis that you justify those actions because it's what you want to do. That's your natural instinct. They, they will make the argument that when you look at even the animal kingdom, this is how the animals uh, act and treat one another. And it's just so ironic to me that they don't see the uh, utter lunacy in that form of defense. And yet today, I'm even presented with the reality that that's true. Is it not? Is it not true? As you read through the Old Testament, did they practice, did they practice chastity in, in, in marriage? Did they practice fidelity? Did they practice monogamy? You, we, we have all kinds of mistakes that are happening throughout the story of God's word. And so do you know what's required? Instructions. You, need, you and I, we need instructions on this. And so this is exactly where Paul begins with the church and he encourages them, telling them, I see you doing this um, more and do it more and more. But this is, in fact, in how you are living. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the progressive nature of those instructions. Number two is this. Sexual purity is required in two spheres. Body and mind. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you maybe to put the word heart next to mind. So it's the, it's the material component of your nature and the immaterial component of your nature in both. So pornea as a stand-in word here for illicit sexual activity most commonly would be a, a prohibition against fornication. So the, the standard would be marriage and God's will is that you would avoid sexual activity before you're married. That's not, that's not the right design of God's will for the human creature. And so we see that listed here in verse 4, right? Avoid sexual immorality. But there, there's another vantage point with marriage as well as the beacon coming in verse 6. Look at verse 6. He says, And that in this matter no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. Uh, what Paul has in mind here is, is not fornication but adultery. That part of the reason why we avoid sexual immorality is because it's destructive not only to ourselves, it's actually destructive to the community. <clears throat> we don't need to run any experiments of what that would even look like if you found that somebody here was cheating on somebody else in the church. I've seen it. When I was a pastor in Dallas, uh, there was a member of our staff who was having an affair with a member of the choir. Uh, the, the choir member's husband also played in the band, and so did the staff member's wife. Four people. And guess what happened to those four when this all came to light? Do you think they're still in that church? Do you think the community held together? It was destructive. It destroyed it. It, it was incredibly painful. In fact, uh, those who were involved closely in the life group of these individuals, all of them left the church. 
as well. So, so understand that the, the obvious and the easy component when it comes to sexual purity, it, it revolves around our bodies, right? And the, the gauge marker for that is marriage. So illicit sexual behavior before ma- marriage, avoid it. After marriage, avoid it. But that's not the only, that's not the only sphere that we need instruction on. And you can see this if you look in verse four. Four and five together, Paul says, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen. Question, is lust something you do with your body or your mind? The root of the behavior that comes from your body is sourced where? It's sourced in your heart and it's sourced in your mind. Uh, Jesus, Jesus helps uh, the crowd to see this in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, you've heard that it was said, don't commit adultery. You guys know this passage, right? But I say to you, anyone who looks at a woman with lust in his heart is already broken. The commandment is already guilty of adultery in his heart. And so Paul here wants you to understand that avoiding sexual immorality is obviously something that is incumbent upon you with how you govern the vessel of your body, but it also is part of your mind. Not, don't act in passionate lust, he says, like the heathen. So for those of us that want to obey God's word, we have to embrace this dual sphere of what it means. It doesn't mean that you just simply get to say, I've never cheated on my wife, I've never cheated on my husband. But in your heart, there's a continual return because of the perversion of our world and the harm that is done both to you and to those who are enticing you on to that end. Pornea. What English word do you think we get from pornea? I'm, I'm hoping you have this conversation with young people. I don't know if I see too many young people in church today, but parents, parents, you need to have this conversation with them for the world that they live in. When it's going to come to holiness in your life and sexual purity... We need instructions, and it's found in both spheres, for our bodies and in our minds and in our hearts. As we look into this text, we find that Paul is going to give a lot of motivations. So sexual purity needs to be motivated by a few things. I've listed them out here, A through F. The first uh, is that it's God's will. Well, that, that's pretty easy. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty heavy as well, church. There's no squeaking around verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Hopefully, if your Bible says sanctified there, write holiness in the side. Because sanctified does not mean... Don't don't think this big churchy word means something that's only reserved for Sunday. It's a word that means holy. And holiness means set apart. Hear me now. It is God's will that you be set apart from the behavior and values of the society around you. Number one way of characteristic of that is in sexual purity. But it is God's will. Have you ever asked that question in your life? Man, what is God's will for this situation? Do you ever play a scratcher and win anybody? Be honest now if you're in church. Right. Well, and then I'm sure you as a Christian say, now, what's God's will for this newfound income that I received? Right. Whatever you have in your life, I'm certain at some point in your walk with the Lord, you've asked this question. What is 
God's will. Aren't you glad you came to church today? There it is. You have it. God's will is that you would be made holy, is that you and I would be seen having a characteristic of our lives that is distinct from the world around us. Number two, uh, it's maturity. So, so what is it that should move me towards secu- sexual purity? Well, it's, it's a maturing process that goes on in our lives. Uh, look with me in verse four, that each of you should learn to control. Isn't that a great word? Learn to control. I actually looked this word up uh, in the original language. It means to gain possession over a vessel, to gain possession over it. I have control over it. The best illustration I could come up with uh, is when you uh, when you catch a fish. You, you ever get a slime? Tom, you ever get a slimy fish fall out of your hand when you take it off the hook? What's that fish do when it's on the floor of the boat? Just flopping all over the place. I, I kind of feel like that's what our world wants when it comes to sexuality. Just go wherever you want. Flip, flop, anywhere you feel free. That's who you are. You can't deny your authentic true self. Let me just, this is a little off. This is not my notes right now. Your authentic true self is rubbish. Right? You, your heart is deceptive above all things. And you want, because of sin more than anything, your own self-glory. That's your true self. Jesus says, anyone who would come after me must take up his cross. Follow me. Deny himself. I mean, willing to die. Crucify that old self. So I don't, I don't want any of us to be brainwashed thinking that that terminology of your authentic self would somehow be a justification or a permission to flip-flop in your life all over the boat. There might be a better illustration for this, for the use of gaining maturity onto control. And I think of a 16-year-old learning to drive. Uh, I was pulling out of Kingsford, uh, picking my son up from school a uh, couple days ago. And <laughs> as if anyone's ever done this in this particular parking lot, you'll know that as you come, it's a one way. And you can only, as you're coming out of the one way, you can only turn right or turn left. And there was this one hotshot 16-year-old that didn't want to wait in line. And so just stuck the nose of his car just right in front of me. And of course, I'm the one that's got to slam on my brakes. And I say a bunch of godly words in my heart. <laughs> At that moment. <clears throat> well, what, what, what are these kids needing to learn to do? Gain control over their vessel. Right? This is why they have the little sticker on the car. Student driver, beware. Right? We get it. We understand that there is a process of learning. There is a maturing that needs to happen. But here's what we don't allow. We don't allow you to drive like that forever. We, we, don't, we don't permit you to just characterize your life, stick in the nose of your car anywhere you want because you felt like it. We need to mature. We need to grow up. Paul says that each of you should learn this learning process of obeying the instructions. That's the motivation. Number three, holiness as being contrasted by the world. Um, great, uh, great verse in verse five uh, or in verse four, uh, in a way that is holy and honorable. That's, that's how you learn to control yourself, in a way that is holy and honorable. I really love that word honorable. I almost feel like that ought to be a great litmus test for any, uh, any question on sexual behavior. Is that honorable? It's 
It's a really good question to ask when it comes to any sexual behavior is, is this something that brings honor to the, to the designer? Because I want you to know, church, I totally want you to know this morning, you can live that way. You, you, can, you can live with homosexual behavior. You totally can. You, you can have sex before marriage. You can have sex outside marriage. You can look at pornography every single day. You totally can. But do you know what you'll be abandoning? God's will. That's not God's will. He will allow you to do it. But it does not bring honor to God. In this passage out of 2 Corinthians, Paul says, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from them. That's what it means to be holy. Come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you and I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We are motivated by holiness. Number four is brotherly love. We kind of covered this one already. It shows up in verse six that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. Um, the easiest way that you and I need to know this is to see how destructive sexual uh, immorality is to the community. Um, brotherly love. Two stories in the Bible. Uh, Joseph. Remember the story of Joseph? Potiphar, that Potiphar's wife, she's a, whew, she's a devil woman, right? She says, come, come, sleep with me, sleep with me. She keeps enticing Joseph. And Joseph says, how could, how could I do this and sin against Potiphar? Right? He, he immediately understood that his embrace of another man's wife is actually a transgression against Potiphar. And then another story, uh, you, you guys know King David, when he should have been out to battle, is taking a walk and sees Bathsheba and then calls for Bathsheba. And, and claims another man's wife. Uriah. You guys know the story? And then what does he do for Uriah? Kills the man. Uh, did everybody get that? Amen on that? We're good on this? That brotherly love, holding to the unity of the community is why sexual purity is a motivating factor for us. Number three is God's justice. Uh, if you look in verse six in the middle, the Lord will punish men. For all such sins. As we've already told you and warned you. Uh, this is a great passage out of the book of Proverbs. The, the whole beginning of Proverbs is wisdom for young men. It's very needed in our world today. But this particular one says, Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? What, what would you say to a young lad? Scooping fire into his lap. What would you say to that idiot? <laughs> hey, idiot. Stop playing with the... Yeah. I was one of those idiots when I was little. Right? Um, my dad worked as a wildland firefighter, and uh, fire was so cool, man. All right, be honest. You'd stick the stick in there, you'd get the top to light, and then you'd wave it around. I mean, yeah, constantly getting yelled at because you're an idiot. That's why. Stop thinking that you're not going to get burned. That is the result of scooping fire into your lap. Or can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. God, our God is a God of justice. 
Now, as you and I come to a place as broken humans, sexually broken humans, I have really good news for you today, which is that as you and I come to the place of calling our poor decisions and behaviors sin, they've already been punished where? On the back of your Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, you, you, you have already been given grace and forgiveness. It's to the person who resists God because I don't want to know God. I, want, I, I know there is one, but I don't want to know anything about him. Um, you must understand God will punish men. Uh, Peggy read the verse out of Galatians. God, God can't be mocked. Can't mock God. A man will reap whatever he sows. He who sows to the flesh will reap destruction in the flesh. And he who sows to please the Spirit will reap eternal life in Christ. So this is, uh, th- this is absolutely a motivating factor that we know that God's justice encourages us onto sexual purity. And lastly, God's call and his purpose for our life. Verse 7, God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. He did not call you to be impure, but to live a holy life. And it's because he's called you into his family. I can remember my dad telling me that the, the name that I've been given, I am a flunker, that is my name, gives a reflection unto him. I tell my son the same thing. Listen to God's words to you and I out of the book of First Peter. He says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. You, you are welcomed into God's family. So don't live like the rest of society. You need to change and be holy and set apart. It's God's call to you that motivates you and I towards holiness. Just two more real quick. Thank you for hanging on here. Number four is this. The spirit of God in you is your manager on towards holiness. If you look with me again in our passage in verse eight, it says God gives you his Holy Spirit. This is a beautiful one, and it's a, it's a heavy motivator for us. We already read out of uh, 2 Corinthians where this shows up, but I want to show you in 1 Corinthians a passage that's a, a little more point, poignant. A sim- similar command, flee from sexual immorality. We talked about Joseph already, do you remember? Potiphar grabs hold of him. He's got, she's got him by his coat, right? And what does Joseph do? That boy runs, and he leaves it behind. There's no better example of that verb in the life of Joseph. Flee sexual immorality. All other sins a man, uh, person commits are outside of his body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Uh, when, when Emily and I, when we lived on the mission field, we lived in a, in a house that was in the middle of the campus. And then after we left and came back a year later, we discovered someone else moved into our house and moved all our stuff. Well, of course, because we left, right? That was what they're supposed to do. But I remember as we were coming back in, uh, they're, wanting, they're wanting the furniture over here. But when we lived there, we liked it over there. But here's the deal. Someone else lives here now, and they're going to put it where they want it. Your, your heart, your body, it's a temple where the Holy Spirit now lives. 
And you may have wanted to put the furniture over there and paint the walls this color, but the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he says, hey, let's clean some of this up in here. Let's clean it up. Because there's now a new manager in town. There's, you are now under new management. There's a new owner of the vessel that you used to run and rule and make decisions for. It's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is now the one who makes the decisions in your life for what you should do and what you should stop doing because he lives there. Come on, give me an amen on that. Is that good news? He lives there. He, he lives inside of you. Um, I, I need to go back to this verse again. Um, I, was, I was really struggling in setting up this message today because I, I have no problem preaching God's word, but I was still scratching my head for an answer to the reason why sexual purity. Why, why, I totally get verse three when it says, uh, this is God's will, you should be sanctified. Why does the next line not say, and make sure you go to church? Why does the next line not say, make sure you give a tithe? Why is it that the, the very immediate characteristic of our holiness has anything to do with sex? Does that make you scratch your head too? I, I needed an answer to this. And the answer comes from the passage that we just looked at. I, we, we skimmed by it, but I need to remind you of it right now. He says, all other sins that a person commits are outside his body, but whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. And that's where the Holy Spirit lives. The reason why the primary characteristic onto, towards holiness is because you are created as a sexual being. That's part of your nature. That's how God made you. But all other sins are external to you. They're all external. They're not identity-driven sins that affect the core of your being and who you are like sexual sin does. And that is the reason why. When Paul wants to say that God's will is for you to be holy immediately, it's because... um, All of their sins are outside, but sexual sin affects your body. So do you know what God's answer for you is? Do you you know how God is going to help you with that? He's going to give you a helper. He is. He's going to give you himself, the spirit of God, to come and live within you and to be the new deciding factor under new management to say, this is how you need to live your life. Lastly, a rejection of sexual purity is a rejection of God. And this one's, this one's tough. I believe this is, a, this is a tough one. If you look again with me in verse 7, or verse 8, I'm sorry. He says, therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God. The reason why this one is hard is because apart from the study of the instruction that comes from God's word, you, your whole life, have been being taught how you should act sexually. Do you know children are taught this in school? They, they, they don't have a teacher with a curriculum. How are they taught it? They're taught it because it's accepted. It's acceptable. And whatever is acceptable works its way into our hearts and into our minds as being, yeah, this is normal. This is good. This is healthy. This is exactly how you should act. And for you to hear this morning... That a rejection of the command onto sexual purity, you need to know is not a rejection of men. You're actually rejecting God, which is why this requires our great attention. So two conclusions that I want to give you that are central to this passage. The first is this. God's will is your holiness. 
seen through sexual purity. That's pretty simple, right? I think, I think, we, I think we've all kind of got that. The, the reason why this is critical in our world today is because we have to ask a second question, which is, do we live in, do we live in a sexually corrupt culture? So this, this alone by itself is not hard. I totally get it. Until you place that person in the cesspool that we live in of impurity. Uh, in fact, increasingly, where you will be called uh, some form of phobia, uh, if you were to take a stand towards holiness, you will be persecuted by the world. So it becomes all the more critical for us to understand that's the point of all this. God's calling you to holiness. He's calling you to be set apart from the world. And there's no better way of defining that than to have you take a stand for purity in your life and in your children's life. The second one is critical, though. It's the how. You do this by knowing God and by knowing God's call. How do I become sexually pure? Well, if you just read this one book someone wrote. Well, if you just go to this uh, support group. Well, if you, uh, you just make these little changes, I would, I would submit to anybody who has ever sought to pursue sexual purity, I, I would venture to guess that you have a pattern of success and failure in your life. And so what I'd like to do this morning is offer you the remedy. Sexual purity is achievable by knowing God. That's not my words. Let me show you in the text once more in verse 4. We'll start in verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. Hear me as clearly as you can. This is not knowing about God. This is knowing God. Because there's a big difference between knowing about God and knowing God. I mean, I can, I can know that Michael Jordan's a basketball player, right? I, I can know that he had a rookie season playing baseball. I can know those things, right? I, I can know facts about Michael Jordan. But I will still see no value in preserving the holiness of that baseball card. Unless I know how much it's cherished. If my sister knew that, if she knew how much I loved it and, and treasured it, she would never dream of treating it in such a destructive manner. If she just knew. Because she didn't know, destruction was right there. You've already heard this message from Mara this morning. What, what, what if it's not, what if you don't know? What if it's never explained? Will you understand? Will you know how to live or will you continue to follow in a pattern of destructive behavior? So hear me as clearly as you can. Knowing God and knowing God's call in your life, that is the remedy for the perversion in our world when it comes to sexual behavior. And sexual purity is achievable when we know God. Not just knowing about God, but knowing who he is. Because God is the one who has called the human creature made in his image. And there is immense value and worth declared for every person because they're made in God's image and likeness. That is the holiness that's endowed upon them by their creator to which you and I are called to preserve. And you will 
fail all day long. It doesn't matter how many books you read. You will fail. It doesn't matter how many courses you take. If you don't know the value of the God who has endowed them with that. So, huge conclusion. How do we do this? Um, this is my encouragement to the church in the form of application. It's the same as what Paul says. Christian, if I'm speaking to you this morning, you must keep progressing in holiness. This is exactly what he says in verse 1. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. Right? You keep, keep growing in it. Keep developing in this. Keep pursuing maturity towards holiness in your life. Keep doing it. Okay, everybody with me? Give me an amen if you're with me. Okay, how how, how do we do that? Give give me some good ways of of going about that. Two ways I want to offer to you. First is this. You need to stop the having of opportunity for sexual sin. Um, I'm getting that particular verb out of verse 3. In our Bibles, in English, the command is given here in the, in, in the infinitive, meaning this is something you ought to be doing. It says you should avoid sexual immorality. That little verb there, avoid, is made of the conjunction of two Greek uh, con- concepts, two words. Um, the word echo, which means to have, and the negative uh, article preceding it, meaning don't have it. Have nothing to do with it. It's, if it's if something you're holding, like a hot coal, what would you do if you're holding a hot coal? You need to stop the having of the opportunities for sexual immorality. So let's go back to our spheres again. If this is you in a premarital sex, get married. It's, it's really... Fantastic news. This is actually what, what Paul commands the church in Corinth. He, he says it's, it's not good for a man to have this kind of illicit behavior with some of the, someone that he's pledged to. And because, he says, because there is so much. In fact, turn there with me. Go to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to have you guys circle it in your Bibles and underline it. 1 Corinthians. And I really should have written down where it is before I had you turn there. Chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you have an NIV and a pen or pencil, you're going to help me make an important uh, addition here to the translators. Um, it says now, uh, verse, verse 1. Everybody with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to... What does your Bible say there? If, it's, if it says marry, that's a bad translation. That is not at all what Paul meant here. Cross out the word marry, and it means having illicit sexual relations. That's what the, it, uh, the, the Greek word is a euphemism meaning touch. He says it's good for, uh, for a man not to touch a woman. You guys know what a euphemism is. That's where we soften it for the reality. They slept together. Yeah, they didn't sleep. We, you know what I mean? That's a euphemism. It's a way of softening it, making it, making it sound a little nicer. That's the exact thing going on in this text. He says it's it is good for a man not to have, not to be touching women, right? Not to have this, this, oh, just burning that they're so passionate and they just can't control themselves. So look at the answer in verse two. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So if fornication is an issue in your life, if, if premarital temptation is an issue in your life, the Bible says what? Go get married. Let's have a wedding. You will not be giving yourself the having of the opportunity any longer. 
All right, let's talk about after marriage. You've been married a long time. Things have been fine, but finances and career and all the other idols that you put in your life ahead of God, you know what they do? They begin to separate you so that neither one of you can communicate and speak the same language of the needs that you have for one another. Oh, but that person at work who gives me attention, that person who I see that's always caring about me. Do you know what you need to do in that moment? You need to find a new job. You need to sever that relationship immediately. Because if you're going to preserve your marriage, you have to stop the having of the opportunity on towards sexual sin. What about pornography? Every device that exists now has access to sexual immorality being piped into the minds to pervert the vision of what a woman and what a man is in the hearts of young people and adults. You cut it off at its source. You make sure that you're not the only one that has access to whatever browser device that you're using. And you know what? There's a little box called a router. You know what you could do with that? You could unplug it. Your phone? You could shut it down. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes, you need to, as the Bible says, avoid Uh, Stop the having of the opportunity. Stop the having of it. Now, we've been through this, right? We've talked about both spheres. What goes on in the mind, what goes on in the body, pre-marriage, post-marriage. We talked about all that. There's still a part missing here. Because if you're only vacating your life, if that's all you're doing, you're still not going to replace it with that which needs to fill the vacuum. And so this is our second point. You need to start a spiritual fitness program of seeking to please God by knowing God. This is what the text says in verse 1. Finally, brothers, as we instructed you on how to live in order to please God, keep doing it. Keep doing it. And what's the solution? The solution is knowing God. Because once you know the value that's been placed upon the human creature by the God who loves you, it will change It will change that trigger that, that enables you to indulge in whatever it is that you shouldn't. That doesn't make you holy. That doesn't make you distinct from the world. No, I'm not not saying read your Bible more. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you need instruction on this. In the same way that you know what it means to eat healthy. We were out uh, earlier in the spring. We made a little campfire and got s'mores with kids. Sadie loves s'mores. And for some reason, the marshmallow bag was sitting right next to me. Do you know how many marshmallows you can eat without knowing it? A lot of marshmallows. Got to get rid of those. Get rid of them. And they need to be replaced with this fitness way of of, of making sure that I know. I know the God who loves me. And the more that I know the God, not of the God, I know him, the the more that I will be replaced to change and straighten out that, that which the world is trying to twist according to its own will. I just listed three ways to do that here. To know the God of honor, to know the God of justice, and to know the God who calls. I'd love, if you're taking notes on this, calls you by his love. When you know the God who loves you, in the same way that I really treasured that Michael Jordan card, I loved it. If my sister had known that, she would not have treated it with destruction. The same way that I encourage you today to seek 
a regiment of knowing God. I need to know who he is. And the more that you come to know who he is, the more that you will see the infinite value and worth in your brother and sister on this planet. For they are somebody who God deemed worthy enough to allow his one and only son to die as an innocent victim, to make available the opportunity for all men, all women, to come and find reconciliation with God. That is the value that God sees on a human life. The more you get to know the God who sees people that way, the harder it will be for you to see them as objects of your gratification, whether that's in marriage or out of marriage. Let's ask for God's help in our obedience for this today. Let's pray.